church. It was funny how many people were sharing with me after uh, church service, just, you know, we're kind of focusing on prayer this morning. And again, just, uh, and, and we're all like this. I think this is just part of our human nature is that we're, we pray about things and then we're just shocked or we're just kind of like blown away that God answered. And it's, you, there's just kind of that, you know, that, that sense of, well, you know, you, you want to just say to him, well, isn't that what you were wanting? I mean, you know, it's, oftentimes we're just, we're, we, we know to pray, but oftentimes we're blown away when God answers our prayer, and we think like, well, should it really be that way? I mean, you know, so it's just kind of a, it's just an interesting dynamic, um, I think, in our human nature. I want to just be fair, because I, I did kind of talk at first service a little bit about this, so I want to be fair here um, as well, and just, I, I think every so often, and, and I'm realizing this is not just us, I think this is just pretty much church in general, um, and uh, just over the weeks, and I, I think, you know, sometimes it just seems to kind of go in cycles, uh, where we uh, get people that are uh, in the midst of the, the service, um, and people just kind of getting up and kind of walking out, either to go to the bathroom, first service, there's a lot of people going out to refill coffee cups, and so just felt like I really needed to kind of just, again, speak to um, what happens beyond that. Um, it's just, it, it can really begin to create distractions in, within the congregation. It can it oftentimes impede uh, the movement of the Holy Spirit. I've been in the prayer room a number of times where, you know, an, an individual want to kind of start going off in their own direction, or they'll want to start doing some things, and there just are times where Jim has to kind of rein that in and say, you know what, we want to we want to move together in the spirit. We want to flow together um, in the spirit. So it's, it's not just confined to a worship service. Um, and so there just are times where as a, as a pastor, you kind of just got to get up and, and just again remind people that oftentimes when you're getting up in the middle of a service and you're going out and you're coming back in, it just really creates a distraction. And, and sometimes we don't think beyond um, that you know, just the individual impact, that that does have an impact on people around you, especially if somebody's really receiving something from God and, and there's just a lot of in and out that, that it just becomes very, very distractive. I remember when we were first starting out at, at, at a, uh, over at YFC, I remember in the midst of the worship service, we had a, a, a woman who came one morning uh, equipped with her own tambourine. And just in the middle of the worship service, she just started beating this tambourine loudly. It was offbeat. Um, and and I, I don't question her heart for worship. I'm, I'm sure she was worshiping the Lord. But the dynamic that it created in the uh, congregation was it was very, very distracting. And it was just really impeding the flow of worship um, in the service. And so I kind of recognized that pretty quickly. And so I just went over to her and just asked her if she would, you know, please not do that. Um, and then afterwards, you know, I just kind of talked with her, you know, that it was distractive. It was disruptive. It really wasn't, it wasn't flowing with the worship team. It was really flowing against the worship team. It was distracting to them. It was distracting the congregation. So I just said, you know, if you're interested in playing the tambourine, we do have a process where we can kind of get you up on the platform. You can practice with the worship team. They'll kind of help you kind of get in sync and know when it's good to bang it, when it's not good to bang it. But if you're going to play an instrument, we'd like for you to kind of practice with all of the instruments, you know, just kind of get on the worship team that way. So I thought she kind of got my point. Following Sunday, she came back, tambourine in hand, middle of the worship service. She started banging it, and just it was, you know, again, very, very disruptive, impeding the flow of worship. So I just went up and took it away from her and said, you can get this back after the worship service. Um, so again, there just are times 
the point of that is that there just are times where when you see things that are going on in the congregation, part of your responsibility as a leader, whether that's here in the congregation, it's in the prayer room, again, we, we, we just need to address that uh, so that we're, we're not picking on any individuals here. So um, what I would like for you just to kind of be mindful of, um, again, is, is uh, uh, just this up and down, in and out uh, during worship, during the sermon time. Again, it, it, it has the potential of being very disruptive and very distracting to the people that are around you. And so we would ask that if that's at all possible to, to try to just, you know, wait uh, until the service is over, the, you know, um, to, to take care of a bathroom need, uh, if, you, if at all possible. Um, if you're someone who has issues, and again, I'm not trying to make light of that, um, but maybe uh, sitting back, maybe more closer to the door so that if you do need to get up and go out, that it, it minimizes that distraction um, as well. So we, you know, just get comments from people um, where they just find a lot of that becomes very, very disruptive and distracting in the worship service. So it's not just from my viewpoint up here. We do get a lot of comments from people, and so I just feel a need probably to address that from time to time. It was interesting. Somebody said to me uh, that they, the church they went to 30 years ago 30 years ago in California, basically said, if you ever got up and left the worship service, you did not get back in, regardless. And if you were late, you basically got funneled off into a room where it was all kind of, um, you were just in an, uh, in an offshoot uh, room, uh, and you basically got to hear what you could hear and see what you could see, but they did not allow that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Maybe we're just 30 years behind. Um, so anyway, I just want to just kind of give that again just as a word of caution, because uh, oftentimes the enemy can use that, especially if someone's really receiving from God, you know, they're really, uh, they're really uh, God's ministering to them, and there just becomes a distraction. All of a sudden, it kind of can, it can break that uh, in what God is doing. So we just want to be really uh, cautious of that, and, and if you need to get up, that it really is an emergency. Um, so we, again, just want to just bring that to your attention and just, you know, caution again just to be very discerning um, of people around you um, as well. We're kind of continuing in our series we've been working through this summer talking about God God's favorite stories, and a lot of these are just parables um, that Jesus told. And so we're going to look this morning at a parable that Jesus told um, in order to make a very, very simple point. And, and Jesus' uh, parables oftentimes were really to make a very simple yet a very powerful and profound point. And this morning's parable that we're going to look at is a story that Jesus told uh, regarding prayer. And so the story can be found in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. If you've got your Bible, I would invite you to open up there. Otherwise, you can just kind of follow along on the screen. And there it says, once Jesus was in a certain pray place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Let me just kind of pause here. I want you to notice how this begins. Jesus is praying in a certain place. It doesn't tell us where. It's really not important. But the disciples either come upon Jesus as he is praying. They're kind of standing there watching him or they're overhearing Jesus from a distance praying. And as they listen to Jesus pray, they kind of are astounded and they're kind of taken back by the way that Jesus is praying to the point they actually approach him and say to him, Jesus, 
we were so moved by what we heard, by what we saw. We were very moved by the intimacy that was displayed, the way that he was addressing uh, his heavenly father. Whatever it was, something moved them to the point that they come to Jesus and say, would you teach us to pray the way you pray? Now again, these disciples, they, they had been raised in an atmosphere of prayer. Prayer was nothing new for them. I mean, they would go to the synagogue daily and their prayers would be offered. I mean, they were raised in, in Jewish homes where, where prayer was a formality. It was very routine. It was normal in their upbringing. So prayer was nothing new to them. However, when they listened or heard Jesus pray, they felt it, it kind of moved them in a way as if they had never heard someone pray before. It, it, was, it, it stood out to them that much. That this was something totally new to them. And there again, I think they saw that Jesus had an intimacy. There was something that was so unusual that it was profound to them. Something very dynamic in the way that Jesus approached and addressed uh, his heavenly father. It's also interesting if you think about this, that the disciples never ever asked Jesus to teach them how to preach. I mean, they'd heard Jesus teach and preach to the multitudes. Uh, they knew that he was someone who taught with authority. And yet, they never ever approached Jesus and said, would you teach us to preach and to teach? I mean, they had witnessed countless healing miracles. And they never once asked Jesus, would you teach us to heal? I mean, they witnessed the, the multiplication of the fish and the bread feeding uh, the 5,000. But never once did they ask Jesus, would, would you teach us how to multiply? apply food. The disciples witnessed Jesus walking on water, casting out demons, calming the water, and a host of many other miracles um, and, and wonders. And yet, the only time they ever approached Jesus and asked him to teach them was in regards to prayer. Again, I find that kind of interesting. I think those disciples maybe kind of came to understand that everything that Jesus said, I mean, everything Jesus did, I mean, even the way Jesus was, it all kind of began or it found its foundation in his prayer life. All of the miracles, the wonders that Jesus did, I mean, they were the result or the fruit of his prayer life. Again, teach us to pray and everything else kind of just falls into place. It, is, it seems to be what they're saying. And again, we would do well to make that request of Jesus as well as the disciples did when they came to him and said, teach us to pray. Again, that may be, uh, that may be one of the, 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 the beginning points for us in our prayer life is, is teach us to pray. I think it's one of the benefits when you go uh, to a place like the house of prayer. We oftentimes get people, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to pray, and, and that, that becomes uh, an, an, an impediment to going into the prayer room. And oftentimes I'll say, you know what, one of the best places to learn to pray is by just going and watching and observing, listening to other people pray. But you can learn a lot uh, just by watching other people effectively pray. Now, following the disciples' request uh, in that to teach us to pray, it's interesting that Jesus kind of begins in verse 2, and he teaches them what we all come to understand and know as the Lord's Prayer. 
And so Jesus, there in verse 2, he says, uh, this is how you should pray. Now, oftentimes, I know I was raised in the Lutheran church. Now, whether they taught this or I just kind of just taught myself this, but I always kind of thought that was the prayer that you prayed. And so, you know, if you were going to pray, you just kind of prayed the Lord's Prayer. And it was after I had become a Christian and, and really uh, learning uh, and, and just listening to other pastors that I really began to understand this isn't a prayer that you memorize and then just, you know, recite from memory, but it's really kind of an outline. Um, it it, it kind of gives to us the framework of how to pray. And we've done series on this uh, in the past. I'm sure we'll touch on this again in the future. That again, this is kind of a framework that Jesus is giving to uh, the disciples. He gives to us to say, here is how uh, you, you can kind of pray. Here are some things uh, to pray through. And so he just says here, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. So this then kind of leads Jesus into the parable we're going to be looking at today, but I wanted to kind of just set up the context of the parable for you because this parable really uh, that, that follows is a part of of a whole lesson that Jesus is giving the disciples regarding prayer. Now this is not just a teaching about prayer, because what they do is they observe Jesus, they approach him, say, teach us to pray the way you pray, and so this is really a, a, a prayer as they have seen it embodied or kind of um, uh, lived through or displayed in the life of Jesus. So the parable that Jesus is, is giving to them, it's kind of Jesus' attitude toward prayer. This is how Jesus approaches prayer. If he's gonna teach someone to pray, this is what he would teach them. Uh, if, if he's gonna teach someone how to talk to their heavenly father, this is what he's going to teach them. And so uh, this is Jesus kind of saying, I I'm gonna teach you how I pray because I believe if you learn these principles, you can pray in the same way. And then he launches there into verse five and then says, then teaching them more about prayer, he's kind of given them the model of the Lord's Prayer, and then to build on that, teaching them more about prayer, he uses this story. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose the man inside calls out from his bedroom and says, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are in bed, I can't help you. And Jesus says, but I tell you this, though the man inside won't respond or do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your persistence. So Jesus, in teaching them more about prayer, gives them a story that really involves three friends, a man who is journeying in the coolness of the night because oftentimes the noon or the daytime heat was so intense. So oftentimes they would try to 
you know, travel in the coolness of the night. He makes his way to his friend's house knowing if he can get there. Uh, this is the kind of friendship where he's going to be invited in. He'll have a place to stay. Hospitality will be offered to him. And so uh, Jesus' story is about a man who after many hours of traveling arrives on the doorstep of his friend around midnight, uh, sore feet, he's weary and hungry. Now because it is the midnight hour, it's late, uh, his host suddenly realizes his daily provisions have already been exhausted and there was nothing in the house left over to give to his tired guest. Now again, in, in Jesus' day as he's teaching this, it was considered offensive. It was an extreme insult for someone to be invited or to come into your home and for you to have nothing to offer them. It, it was just unheard of. And again, remember, most of Jesus' parable, they have kind of these shocking aspects to it. So as the crowd is listening to Jesus tell the story about a man who arrives at his friend's home and there's nothing there to give to the guest, to them, that is just shocking. Wow, I would hate to be in that position. And so at midnight, the host goes to his friend's house nearby to ask him, please loan me three loaves of bread so he could fulfill his obligation, his responsibility as host. Now, again, in, in the tradition and the culture that Jesus is teaching here, it was very customary that, that during the daytime, the door to your house would just always be open. And it was just kind of a sign. It was a, a, a way of saying uh, to people, I'm home, all are welcome, come in, uh, let's sit and, and visit. Uh, and, and at night, when the door was shut, it was also a sign to people that the household uh, did not wish to be disturbed uh, until the following morning. And so if the door was open, you were welcome. If the door was shut, uh, you just had to wait until the next morning. Uh, it's something like what we do if we go to a hotel room. We don't want to be disturbed. We'll kind of put a do not disturb sign outside the door. It's midnight. The door is shut. The house is dark. The household is in bed. The wife, the children are asleep. Come back in the morning. Do not disturb. Now, the sleeping man inside is awakened. He's kind of aroused by his friend, and he was not at all pleased at kind of being woken up at that hour of the night. And so he meets this request for the bread with a polite refusal. Now, again, uh, Jesus notes in the story that obviously the man's wife, his children, they're all sleeping together. It was pretty you know, customary in those days to all be sleeping together in one room. So to disturb one, if one were to get up, chances are you're going to disturb the whole household. And so he makes this statement, you know, that, that um, I, my wife, my children are, are asleep. And so he just basically says, go away uh, and, and come back in the morning. But this friend on the outside, has this urgent need. He's kind of in an embarrassing uh, position as host, having nothing to offer his guest, and he is just not gonna take no for an answer. And so in Jesus' story, this man continues to plead to make his request, and the sleeping man inside soon realizes that this guy is not gonna take no for an answer, and so he gets out of bed, and he gives the man exactly 
exactly what he requested. Now notice, because this is really kind of the, the main point of Jesus' story, is it's important to understand, and we'll kind of unpack this uh, together here uh, this morning. It's, again, important, the sleeping man did not give what was requested out of friendship, but he gave rather in response to his friend's persistence. Now, I, I got to admit to you, um, early on as I was a new Christian and I would read this story, it was just one of those stories that kind of often confused me. I mean, when you first read this, I mean, is Jesus trying to tell us that this sleeping man inside the house is like God? I mean, if, if, you, if you hear the story, this guy goes, he's got a problem, he goes at midnight, bangs on the door, the man inside says, hey, it's midnight, the door's closed, the lantern's dim, I'm sleeping, my wife's sleeping, my kids are sleeping, come back another time. Is Jesus saying God is like that? And then Jesus said the man didn't get the loaves because he banged on the door, or because the sleeping man inside with his, was his friends. Jesus said, rather, he got the bread because of his persistence. Now again, we read scripture basically through our Western mindset, or our, our American mindset is kind of how we would read and interpret this story. And so uh, oftentimes we can, we can make uh, the assumption that, that what Jesus is saying is if you just pester God long enough, uh, just to kind of get rid of you, just to shut you up, he's going he's gonna to give you whatever he wants. Now, now honestly, this was how I really kind of read and interpreted the story at first. And, and again, if that is Jesus' point, if that's really what he's trying to convey to us about the, the personhood of God, to me, this is really no encouragement to pray. As a matter of fact, it's kind of a turnoff um, to prayer. So we come to this story and we really kind of begin to wrestle with this. What is Jesus really trying to teach us about prayer through this story? Now the first thing that you need to discover is the word the translators use there for taking uh, the, the words in the Greek and uh, translating them into English is that word persistence. Some of you may have a different word depending on the translation you're using, uh, but the translation we're using this morning uses that word persistence. And it's really not what, it's probably not the best word for an English translation. The word in the Greek there is not so much persistence, but rather it is shamelessness, brazen, bold, uncouth, or even rude. So it would really read that the man who came to his friend's house got what he requested, got the bread, not because the man inside was his friend, but because the man outside was shameless, brazen, bold, uncouth, and rude in the way in which he asked. This is what the Bible, this is, this is what Jesus is conveying to them. Now all of a sudden, this kind of just piques my curiosity, kind of gets my interest. 
Now listen carefully. This is, this is, again, what Jesus is teaching the disciples regarding prayer. We want to pray like you. And Jesus said, well, if you're going to pray like me, here's a story to better understand and to illustrate what that looks like from my perspective. Why did the man get the loaves of bread? What, what is Jesus trying to tell us here? He said, did, did the man get them because the guy inside the house was his friend that they were besties? Was it, was it because he got his friend out of bed? I mean, I mean was it that, that he just, you know, uh, just nagged and nagged and nagged enough that he finally got his friend out of bed? Jesus said, no, the man got out of bed because the man outside was shameless. He was brazen. There was a boldness in his request. There was kind of an uncouthness of, uh, of the way he requested. You might also just kind of say he was just downright rude in the way that he asked. Again, Jesus said it wasn't because of friendship. It had nothing to do with their relationship. It had everything to do because he asked. Let me just kind of give this to you in, in a contemporary way. And you, you may have been that one that, did you, did you come one time when we broke down in our van? Was that you? Okay. We, we were driving back to Mason City. Um, I, don't, I think we were coming back from the state fair or something. It was during the summer, and we were just kind of coming back up. And I think we were like about 20 miles outside of Mason City, hot, tired. I don't think the air conditioning worked um, in the vehicle we were in. So we're driving back and we get, I think it's probably like about 20 miles outside. We're on, I think, Interstate 35 and the, the car we were in just completely gave out. And, you know, it's just one of those things where you kind of just had enough to kind of coast on the side of the road and uh, engine went off and we could not get this car to start back up. We sat there thinking maybe it was just overheated. We sat there, we waited, we waited, we tried everything we did. We could not get this vehicle to start back up. And so uh, put yourself in that position. Now you're, you're sitting there, the vehicle is dead, it's not going anywhere, you're hot, you're tired, you're, you're, you're so close to home, you just want to get home, you want to be done with this. And so um, I could have sat there, and Jane and I could have sat there in the car, and we could have talked about, we ended up calling a friend of ours, but we could have just chosen to sit there and talk about what an incredible friend this person was. And maybe it was Arv. Oh, that's right. Okay, now I'm remembering the story now. Because we had such a large family, um, they had to send two vehicles. No, okay. And, may, and it makes the point all the more uh, in that. So we could have sat there and we could have just talked about what a great person Jim and Arv were. You know, Jim and Arv, they are such great friends. I mean, you know, Jim and Arv, they are the kind of people that, you know what, if they, uh, they'll just stick with you through thick and thin. I mean, there's nothing Jim and Arv wouldn't do for us. And we could have just sat there and we could have just talked endlessly about what wonderful people Jim and Arv were, what honorable men they were, how we just valued their friendship, how we esteemed their, their friendship, that they, they just, they, they're, they're, they love to give, they love to serve. Oh, they're just those kind of people. And we could have just sat there in that car and gone on about our relationship with Jim and Arv. But do you know what actually changed was when we got on the cell phone and called them and said, we have a need. 
our car broke down, we're stranded, um, we're hot, can you help us? We could have talked about the relationship that we have with Jim and Arv. What a wonderful relationship. What a great friendship we have with Jim and Arv. There's never been a friend like Jim. And if that's all we would have done, we'd still be sitting there in that vehicle today. So the man on the outside did not get what he needed because the man on the inside was such a great friend, was such an awesome friend. Oh, he's a man who would stick with me through thick and thin. The man on the outside got what he needed because he brazenly, boldly, downright almost rudely asked for what he needed. And the man on the inside responded, not out of relationship, but he responded because of the way the man asked, and he got exactly what he asked for. Jesus said the reason the man got out of bed at midnight wasn't because the man on the outside was his bestie. The man went to his friend, he asked, and it was because he asked. It was because we asked that Jim and Arv came to our rescue. And Jesus said, the whole, this, this is the whole point of prayer. He said, it's so simple, and yet it's so profound. When you think about it, Jesus is saying to those, don't just say God is your friend. Don't just say, oh God, he is my wonderful heavenly father. He's such a good, kind, merciful friend, that God. Jesus says, that, that won't get you anywhere. It's a marvelous truth. God is wonderful. He is good. He's kind. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's forgiving. He's compassionate. But Jesus said, that, that's not going to get you anywhere in regards to prayer. When people come on your doorstep, when people come to you with a need, or you have a need, Maybe you're in a circumstance or a situation today and, and you don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. You've got a problem. You've got a need. It's not going to do you any good here this morning to just sit around and say, you know, God, he's my friend. He's my wonderful father. His love endures forever. He's faithful from one generation to another. That's my God. Oh, he's so wonderful. He's faithful. He never slumbers. He, he's, he's so good. He's so good. I have no better friend than God. Jesus is basically saying, if that is your approach to prayer, if that's how you think you're going to get any request from God, he says, you're still going to be sitting there. And the circumstance, the situation will remain the same, and your needs and your requests will go unmet. And again, sometimes our approach to God. I mean, I've read books on this. And again, our approach to God, our approach to prayer is, God knows what I need, so I shouldn't have to ask. And I believe that's true. God does know your needs. But that truth alone will do nothing to meet that need, your request, until you ask. Again, you combine that truth that God is your friend that he is a wonderful, awesome, heavenly father. He loves you. 
He is kind. He is gracious. I mean, you combine that truth with asking God for what you need, God provides. So again, the man in the parable doesn't get what he wanted because the man inside was his friend, but he got exactly what he needed because he went to his friend and he asked shamelessly, boldly, what he needed. And Jesus says to the disciples, have you got it? Are you getting this? And then it's interesting, he, he goes on in verse 9 and says, ask. I mean, if you had to take one word to sum up the whole story that Jesus told, it's in that one word, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it shall be opened. The Amplified Translation says it this way. Ask and keep on asking and you will receive. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door shall be opened to you. And what that means is if you have a need right now, ask. If you have another need in another hour, ask. If you have another need in two hours, ask. Ask and keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. Whenever there's a need, ask. Whenever there's a problem, seek. Whenever there's an issue, knock. Jesus says this is really the heart of prayer. Ask. James 4.2 kind of concurs with Jesus' statement when it says, you do not have because you do not ask. 1 John 3.22 says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. And over and over and over, Jesus affirms what he's trying to teach the disciples regarding prayer. Now again, it, it, it seems trivial. Wake up a whole family, wake up a whole village because one man needs some bread. And Jesus says that is the whole point of the story. Jesus is basically, again, revealing to them the heart of God in this parable. He, he, he says, God loves you. God takes great delight. It, 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 it joys the Father's heart to give you what you need when you ask for it. God is on your side. He's with you. There's no need too trivial. There's no circumstance too small. So go to God and ask and keep on asking and don't be ashamed. Don't apologize for coming back. Now again, we gotta be careful that we don't read more into the parable than what Jesus intended. Again, the sleeping man inside had to kind of be aroused. He kind of had to be, you know, begged and maybe badgered into lending the necessary loaves. But we know God never sleeps nor slumbers. And we do not have to force or beg or cajole God into doing anything. Archbishop, uh, Trench once said, he said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. He said, rather, it is laying hold of God's highest willingness. There's just a profound truth in that. R.A. Torrey once said, prayer is the key that unlocks all of the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is, all that God has is at the disposal of prayer. 
And then it's interesting, just in case the disciples kind of missed the point, which they were, you know, often uh, capable of doing, Jesus closes his teaching on prayer in verse 11 there. Look what he says, you fathers. I love this because he's making a direct appeal there in that group. And he's speaking to men in that group that are fathers. He says, you fathers, let let me kind of give you an example here that you'll understand by virtue of being a father. You father. So if you're a father here this morning, he's speaking again, and, and he's using your role as a father to make this next point. He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? And Jesus said, of course not. And he said, so if you sinful, now some of your translations may use evil, wicked, any of those words will work. He said, if you sinful fathers, men, people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your heavenly Father, who is perfect, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Again, one of the reasons that Jesus came as a human being, one of those reasons he came was he wanted to reveal to us the true heart of God. And I believe he does that in in this portion of Scripture. Here Jesus appeals to a relational illustration to help us more understand more deeply and more fully the heart of God toward us, his children. Do you realize every trait, every characteristic that that you possess as a father was woven into your being by virtue of you being created in the image and the likeness of the greatest father ever, almighty God? I mean, I I often will say, where do you think you got the ability to be a good father? Again, none of us are perfect. None of us, you know, bat a thousand when it comes to being a father. We fall short, probably more often than than we want or wished. But oftentimes, those, those good, those solid, those admirable, those awesome traits that you possess as a father Do you know where that came from? Do you know how you got the ability to do that? That was woven into your very being by virtue of being made in the image and the likeness of God. And so Jesus is making this analogy. He's making this connection between our role as an earthly father and our children and God's role as a heavenly father toward his children. All of the desires the passions, the hopes, the affections that we possess as fathers to be the best that we can be, to strive to be the best fathers we can be were placed within us by the one who is the absolute perfection and embodiment of what it means to be a father. So again, that that ability, that desire, that admirable trait that you possess as a father to be a provider, a good provider to your children, that, that, that is the likeness and the image of God manifesting itself within you. 
The love that we shower upon our children. Do you realize that is the image and the likeness of God revealing itself, kind of shining forth from us? So when Jesus says there in verse 11, if you who are evil, wicked, sinful fathers, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father? Again, where does that ability, that trait come from? It came from the one whose image and likeness you and I were created from. Now again, the difference between us as earthly fathers and our heavenly father, as Jesus points out, says we're, we're sinful, we're imperfect, whereas God is absolute perfection in all that he does and all that he is. So if we are good fathers, though imperfect and sinful, imagine how much greater a father God is who reigns in absolute perfection. If you imperfect, evil, sinful fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, imagine how much greater God is at giving gifts to his children. Again, there's no comparison between the greatest earthly father and our heavenly father. And Jesus wants you and I to understand that that desire that resides drives us to be the best fathers that we can be to meet the needs for our children. He's saying that same desire resides infinitely, exponentially in God the Father to do the same for his children. And so Jesus kind of again opens up and reveals, this is your heavenly Father's heart towards you. Ask, and whatever you ask for, you shall receive. This morning I kind of talked about in one of the, uh, in the denomination that we uh, came out of prior to coming um, to Praise Community Church, one of the things they often cautioned us on as pastors was really to never really talk about or preach about the fatherhood of God. And the reason they really didn't want us to do that was because their fear was, was that there were people out there who had been abused or neglected by an earthly father. And so when you kind of talk about God the Father, it just raises all of these really negative, bad images or memories uh, that they've made connections to with their earthly father. Because, uh, you know, oftentimes our, our understanding of God the Father is based on it and it's rooted out of our understanding and our concept of our earthly fathers. So they would always say it's not a very good idea to kind of talk about the fatherhood of God, especially for people who have maybe a very negative or have had a very, very bad uh, image or relationship with their earthly father. And, and we often, I felt like that was just the exact opposite. I mean, we should be talking all the more about the true father heart of God, the, the true nature of God the Father to try to bring healing and wholeness to the damage that was done um, in here. And, and so rather than steer away from it, I always felt, man, we just got to steer right into it um, because that is where I believe healing and, and, and hope, especially those of us who maybe have had less than um, 
you know, uh, admirable relationships uh, or maybe destructive relationships with God. I believe that's where we can find hope uh, and healing in there is really beginning to discover God's true heart toward us in spite of maybe what our earthly fathers did to really understand the true heart of God. And that's what Jesus is trying to do here is he's just trying to say, regardless of how your father was, I want you to know the true heart of God towards you. Ask. And whatever you ask for, you're going to receive. Seek. Whatever it is, you're, you're going to find it. You know, what, whatever door is, is kind of stopping you, knock on that. God will open it for you. Oftentimes, the problem, you know, that we have is sometimes we're asking for things that God knows if he answered it the way we wanted it to answer, it wouldn't help us, it would hurt us. You know, I often use the analogy, you know, I think every one of us, you know, we see people who win, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars in a lottery, and we just think, oh man, I wish that was me. I, I wish God would do that in my life because, man, if God let me win the lottery and we kind of just start listing off all of the things we would do for God. And the reality of it is, is, is God probably sees in our hearts that if this really were to happen, it wouldn't help us. It would probably destroy us because God sees things, knows things about us that maybe we don't see or, or aren't as in touch with uh, in ourselves. There are times where we ask for things where God would say, you know what, man, if I do that, it's just going to destroy you. So, no. I don't believe there's ever unanswered prayer. I think it's, it's either yes, no, or not now. And, and, and so oftentimes, we kind of think we know if God would do this, if God would grant this, this would really help, this would make it better, and God's just saying, nope, I see some things, I know some things that you don't see or maybe you don't understand right now that if I were to do this, this would probably end up destroying or making the situation worse, so my answer to that is no. And oftentimes, we don't want to receive that. And so again, sometimes when we come to prayer, I know again people think, there's lots of things I ask for that I never got. Well, there's probably a reason, and the reason is because God knows that if he were to move in that way, it would end up hurting you more than it would help you. And because he loves you, he's not going to do that. Oftentimes, too, it, I was talking to a guy um, following first service, um, you know, that, that's praying for some things that involve uh, some other people to kind of do some things, uh, and it's not happening. And I said to him, here's the best thing for you, is you pray, you ask for God to do what, what he can do with you, what he can do through you, and then be at peace with that. Because you can't control other people. You, you can't make God move in other people's lives. Oftentimes we can just say, God, here am I. Use me, God, here am I, heal me, God, here am I, equip me, whatever that is. God, do what you can do as far as it comes to me. And then be at peace beyond that. Um, because again, oftentimes we want to use prayer to kind of maybe manipulate, uh, you know, or, or to kind of get God to violate another person's free will. And, and God's not going to do that to them any more than you would want him to do that to you. So you cooperate with God at, to, to the fullest degree that you can cooperate, uh, allow God to use you, but at, but at some point in that process, you just have to come to a place of peace 
and contentment in knowing you're exactly where you need to be, you're doing exactly what God wants you uh, to do, and you're just going to be faithful in that. So I want to just transition here a little bit, running over, I apologize uh, about that this morning. Oftentimes, again, one of the biggest things, and Jesus kind of taught that in the prayer to the disciples there, was forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Oftentimes, I think one of the biggest issues that can kind of impede us in our walk and our relationship with God, with other people, is this question um, of, of forgiveness. Can God forgive me? And we've all got things in our lives we regret, we wish never happened, and oftentimes we think we just got to live with that guilt, that condemnation, the shame that comes with that. And again, one of the questions, maybe the things we pray for is, God, will you, can you forgive me? And this morning as we look and transition over into communion, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ is God's way of saying, absolutely, exclamation point. I can, I will, I do forgive. But again, we have to confess that. We've got to ask for God to forgive us of our sins. And then we have to forgive those who have sinned against us. And so this morning, maybe that is a prayer. Maybe that is a thing that you've been praying about. Is you're, 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 you're praying for forgiveness of, of your sins. Maybe you're praying for people who have hurt you that you just need to let go of this morning. And your question is, will God do that? Yes, God will do that. Jesus said when he took that cup, he lifted it up and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. He said, this blood, this juice, it represents the blood of the new covenant. And he said, it's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do I forgive sin? Absolutely. So this morning, this is the body, the blood of Jesus Christ is one of the ways that God will speak to and answer our prayers this morning. So maybe you're there, a place of just needing to be forgiven. Maybe you're at a place this morning where you need to extend forgiveness. And this morning, the cup, the body of Jesus Christ says, absolutely, yes. And so we kind of come and, and we're just gonna commune with God this morning, invite Jason, come back up on the platform. I'm just gonna pray for you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and just have a need uh, in your life this morning and you've never ever really asked God. You've kind of just presumed on the relationship. God is my friend, he's my heavenly father. But you've never ever given voice or you've never really asked God to do what you, what you want done, uh, your needs, your requests this morning. So we're just gonna pray and, and, and ask uh, God uh, to just again, um, just to, to speak that simple truth over you again this morning, that whatever it is you're here needing this morning, that you just simply ask. Father, we just thank you this morning for that, again, very simple, very profound teaching that you gave to the disciples. And God, how you kind of just really summed it all up in that one word, ask. And so this morning, God, we just come again with our faith, our hope renewed that God, as we come and we ask and we seek and we knock, that God, we know that you will answer, that we'll receive, you'll open the door. So Father, this morning as we come just to commune with you, Father, you see our hearts, you discern our hearts, and Father, I just pray this morning that God, whatever our need is here this morning, that God, we can ask, we can seek, we can knock, and God, also give us, Lord, the ability to discern your response, God, that maybe that might be yes, it might be no, it might be not now. And God, to be able to hear, to receive that,
to grow in that, Father, to trust you in that. So, Father, this morning, we just, uh, as we come, we partake of the bread, we partake of the wine this morning, the juice, Father, we are reminded, God, of one of our greatest needs, our need of forgiveness, our need of wholeness, of healing this morning. And God, through the broken body, the shed blood of Christ, your response, your answer to us is absolutely. And Father, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we end this morning, I do just invite you to stand and uh, end our time together in worship. And, and when and if you feel led, you may come up and just take a piece of the bread and just dip that in the juice this morning and partake uh, in communion with God.